everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler podcast, episode 51. I'm back here with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy, LLJK, getting ready mm-hmm. to break down the week's events. It's been another crazy week. The sun's out here on the East Coast, though, and it's going to be a warm weekend. And uh, we're here to talk to you. We appreciate you coming back. Jimmy, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Noel. I do have some news to tell. Should I go ahead and tell the people? Yeah, let the listeners know the exciting news, folks. Um, So, guys, it's been one of the joys and honors of my life to be the EP of this podcast. But I've decided after a year uh, that I'm going to step away. It's uh, it's kind of become a toxic environment <laughs> with media, with the way things are going. And I think in order for me to find the personal piece that I need, I need to step away from the show. But it's been an absolute joy to this point to do it. And, you know, I'll probably still I'm, I'm still going to do my podcast and do some media things. But I've I've learned that it's not about the likes and it's not about the clout that you get. You got to find peace with, with yourself. And, and I'm hopeful to find that while I still can. Yeah, you'll find it, buddy. And we appreciate all your help. And I know the listeners love listening to you. And uh, so you don't want to be Joe Rogan anymore, huh? Because when we started, you were like, we're going to be the next Joe Rogan. (laughs) Yeah. Like, nope, we're not. No, JDK does not want to be the next JRE, you know, so that's fine with me, man. Like, I've learned that we're only here for so much time. And there's only so much love that we can give And, and us doing a Zoom call, you know, I, I, I try to explain it as many different ways as I could, but I think I'm going to be more impactful on a local level here in Indiana and, and trying to advocate for people with disabilities and trying to use my experience as opposed to just being angry <laughs> at what's happening with things that I can't control, you know? Yeah, that's, and that's not for everybody, you know? Yeah. Uh, leave the anger to me, dude. I'm good at it. Us yeah. New Yorkers know how to do this, you know? <laughs> and uh, look, it's yeah. like, you can make, you can help people in, in, in your community. You know, the internet is not the real world. It's great to have followers and support and stuff, but it's not real life. It's social media and we're all addicted to it, you know, and the algorithms are, are set up to make you addicted. You, you saw like the social dilemma, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? These things are designed to keep sucking you in. Let me see who just liked that picture of me and my <laughs> cat. You, you know what I mean? And we all do it. I do it. But uh, it's certainly not healthy and it's much more manipulated now than it ever was. And something like Twitter, Twitter has completely changed just in the last Mm. few weeks, you know, and I've done a lot of writing and meditating on that. And uh, I'll get into that in a minute. Well, one thing I will suggest is like, I don't, you know, prayer and meditation is a saying in the fellowship I'm in, but meditation is a great way to kind of find peace within. And like there's apps, you know, you don't have to go to Himalayas and like live in a cave, you know? And I've done that kind of stuff, not to the Himalayas. My dad lived in a cave in the Himalayas for a time in the seventies, but you know, I went to meditation retreats with Alma and, you know, I've studied a lot of Eastern stuff and yoga, but you can just sit there in your chair and practice breath coming in, breath Mm -hmm. coming out, you know, breathe in love, breathe out peace, say those words like a mantra in your mind and make a practice of it, make a habit of it and your life will change and it'll fill with gratitude. And gratitude is what you want. You know, anger is a a character defect. You know, I flirt with it because it's part of my thing. And I know these people and I know how 
hypocritical the media is and, and how much of this is a scam, even on the left, even on Twitter. You know, you see people during the Super mm. Bowl retweeting Charlie Kirk. Is Charlie Kirk OK? You know, he's not <laughs> OK. You've known he's a racist for years, but, you know, a lot of people are going to hit that like button when you tweet that. And then AOC is going to retweet it. And then it becomes this whole big thing. And then you wake up Monday morning and Charlie Kirk got free advertising that people were spending $10 million on. Right. And everybody got angry. But then they said, oh, well, I'll check out your sub stack or your latest article or whatever. You know, everybody's feeding on this stuff, you know, and I get that. And I am, too, even though this is free and I'm not asking you for anything. It costs money to come see a live show or buy a T-shirt. But none of this has ever been subscription based, hasn't been commercial driven. We're not asking for donations and panhandling digitally if you like what I do. You know what I mean? If you like yeah. what I do, give to a local charity. That's what I say, you know, and you're somebody who's had extraordinary circumstances in life that you've risen above. And that can inspire somebody else. You know, there's a little Jimmy sitting in a classroom right now with a walker or whatever, wondering, you know, if this scary world is going to deliver peace and, you know, Mm. an opportunity to him. And you're somebody who's already achieved that at a young age. So why not do that? You know, you you know what I told you you should do, right? You should be. You should go back to school and learn how to be a teacher or something. You know, you talk about your high school all the time. Go teach there. Get another degree. Also, that will give you job security because the gig economy, especially for somebody with your circumstances, you know, who's going to have a harder time hopping in a car and making it to three jobs in one day. Mm -hmm. You know, those things that would give you like a pension or whatever, you know, and some sort of security and health insurance. Those are valuable things and not everybody's a good student, you know, and, and, and you seem to be so, you know, don't feel yeah. bad about it. And uh, not that you do. I'm just saying. And it's also we were we were going to switch this up at 52 episodes anyway. So we made yeah. it, you know, to almost a year. I stopped the car rants last week was the 52nd one because I don't want to brand Trump anymore. You know, anything I've told you about Trump, except for the stuff he did behind the scenes, you can read. It's all there in books. James Zirin wrote a great book about the 4,000 lawsuits he was in before he became president, right? And then it just broke, you know, minutes before airtime, we're taping this on Friday, you know, that the National Archives found classified documents in the materials he sent back to them that he took to Mar-a-Lago. Well, we knew that a week ago, right? It's made official this afternoon, but we already knew that. But everyone is breathlessly retweeting it. Do you know what I'm saying? And talking about it. And I'm not saying we should ignore that stuff, but it's good to be aware of sort of the echo chamber and the sphere of influence we're in because it's damaging. You know, it'll take you away from peace in your own life. And and I'm not saying shut it out. What I'm saying is see it for what it is and and see how many people are addicted to just being contrary, right? People Mm -hmm. see a tweet and they just want to say something in defiance of that or that the, the tweet didn't mention every particular point of view in the limited 280 characters or whatever it is. Right. I always get that. Like you forgot to mention this. I wasn't, I wasn't talking about the entirety of the thing. I was expressing my opinion based on something I was reacting to, you know, in my own life that you didn't see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And people just, they they just want the, you know, you're good at pointing this out. You know, they want the opportunity you know, to hop on somebody with a larger followings tweet because they know, you know, 
a lot of my mm. tweets will get 10,000 likes, 50,000 likes. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, you know, you can tell when people are like, you're just looking to be the second guy under the tweet, you know, and sort of hitchhike yep. digitally on this thing with your defiant little like, you know, message. So, you know, it, it's very toxic. I, I and, and it's also been manipulated in we recent weeks, like the, the Russia is about to you know, invade Ukraine. Hopefully mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. But by the time people hear this, we could be in a much different world uh, on come Monday morning, you know, which is also why I, I kind of pulled back on the car rant stuff. I just, all of this stuff is, is appeasement of Putin that Trump did. You know, we lost four years. He invaded Ukraine territories eight years ago, and we haven't been able to do anything about it. And we lost four years of any potential diplomacy on that subject because Trump was owned by the guy, you know, and was eating the interpreter's notes, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and people are hurt, right? They're angry. So they're lashing out at everybody. And I've spoken about this before, but the left will eat itself. I have to block a lot of people. And a lot of those people are on the left, right? Mm -hmm. Just they, they just can't wait to attack each other. And there's a breakdown in civility. And I spoke about it this week, you know, the other day, like yesterday, I had a tweet, like Twitter was never like a hotbed of compassion, you know, but it's gotten worse in recent weeks. And some ladies like, you don't see all the pictures of dead pets and all the empathy that people give when they lose their loved ones, because you've got a big following and you don't pay attention. So who are you to talk about Twitter, <laughs> right? That's what a lady, she retweeted wow. my tweet that I had to turn off comments and said that. And it's like, first of all, why do you think a larger account makes you see less people on Twitter, right? Because I follow people too, you know? But, you know, that was my point. Like she just literally made my point, but had to angrily react to this, you know, and go after me for being, and this was someone who follows me. You, you know what I mean? Right. Like, what is the point of that? I'm just giving you my point of view of the incivility I see in here. And it was in relation to, you know, the quarterback who, who turned his back on a woman who fell off a stage, mm. a 10 foot high stage, which I've seen happen more than once on shows. Mm. And I've seen stage managers lose their careers. There is nothing more dangerous than falling into a pit off of the stage. It's the number one hazard in, in live television, concerts, you name it. It's deadly. You know, and she fell off backwards, could have been a concrete floor, and she ended up fracturing her spine. And the quarterback was a total tool, right? He just turned his back and let his wife deal with it. He took a sip of water. He had no concern. And they were defending him like, oh, he was drunk, bro. What do you expect him to do? He might get sued, you know? And it's a great example of how everybody reacts to everything from this point of division now right? That's what Trump brought to this country. He divided a people, you know, that were never completely united, but we used to have civility. You know, there used to be something called civics. And when you're in Boy Scout, Boy Scouts, they tell you to help a lady across the street and stuff and treat everybody like you're running into your granny or something. You know what I mean? And now people filter it like, oh, a liberal's probably defending, you know, a liberals are probably mad at him because he fell off, you know, because he didn't help her. So they right. come at it with this Joe Rogan barstool sports attitude. And that's what happened. That, that was a perfect example of obvious incivility. Being drunk at two in the afternoon, two days after the Super Bowl, isn't the excuse you think it is, right? They're right. supposed to be heroes and stuff. Not saying you shouldn't get drunk and celebrate, but they were acting like it's complete vindication. He's a drunken quarterback. Yeah, well, you know, drunken quarterbacks do a lot of bad stuff to girls in college, too. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Like, mm -hmm. why are you acting like that's an excuse? But 
my point is that's how everybody initially reacts to that. And then they just attack each other online. And, and that's a weapon. That's weaponized stuff that's been manipulated, that these algorithms and, you know, we've covered it ad nauseum how the Trump campaign, you know, worked with Putin in 16 to target specific demographics and change their mind and turn them against fellow Americans. And it worked to the extent that people don't get vaccinated. A guy tried to open an airline, you know, an airline door. He was on an airplane and he got up and tried to open the door on the airplane, a flight out of Oregon, I believe. And because he wanted fellow passengers to videotape his thoughts on vaccination. Like he knew it would go viral on TikTok or whatever. So he was going to open the door and let everybody get sucked out of the plane. I don't know if that really happens, but I don't want to see a motherfucker opening the plane door while we're in flight. <laughs> No, a peaceful guy, but I'm going hard on you <laughs> if I see you do that. But, you know, that's my point. It's like everybody wants to be viral. You know, this Canadian trucker imbroglio, you know, which is not the right term for it because it's, it's an occupation. It's a terrorist act. But, you know, the guy who's behind it, the quote unquote leader is, a, you know, is a racist asshole, beard bro pig. You know, you've seen the guy and he's getting retweeted. He'll be famous. Joe Rogan got twice as much as we initially thought, right? We thought he got a hundred million. He got 200 million to come to Spotify. That's because they knew the amount of algorithmic activity they would get off of a bald knucklehead saying racist, homophobic, what have you stuff every week. They know their business model. It's clicks and likes and subscribers. It's not humanity. And it's a scam. It's like cryptocurrency or something. It's a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, the big accounts will make money off of that. But everybody else gets sucked into the maelstrom and you lose your day-to-day -day life. You lose your ability to concentrate and read a book. You know, when's the last time you sat down and read a book and didn't look, check your phone for three hours? Mm. You know, you don't mm -hmm. have to answer, but we all know, you know, we probably don't do that as much as we once did. I got a stack of New Yorkers, you know, they pile up around me because I'm always looking at my phone. So you know, that's a rant on that kind of stuff. I'm not saying I'm quitting social media. I need to be on there, you know, and I got a comedy show coming up on June 7th at the City Winery Loft in New York City, in case you listeners <laughs> are interested, you know, I'm not disappearing either. And we'll switch up the, you know, the format of this podcast, because I think a year was like a first season, you know, and I think we covered a lot of this dark stuff in this last year. But I think as a world, and as a country, we're entering into different uncharted territory now you know we're at the end of one era and we're entering another you know we're in this sort of post-trump years not post-pandemic even though everyone's acting like it's all over and they're lifting a mask <laughs> mandate next week in california which is insane even in the schools but and in most of the country but we're going to be on the other side of that and anybody who tells you they know what it looks like is lying to you because nobody's been here before you know, and the echoes of what we've seen before do not bear well for freedom or, or democracy, right? We've seen a lot of this playbook in fascist regimes of the past, right? You know, and that's why they use everything. The I can never say that word, iconography, iconography, right? They use, yeah. the, you know, all of Trump's symbols. Melania Trump, I read a letter of hers today. She had a, like a Nazi looking symbol. Why does Melania Trump have a seal? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And all the Trump rallies use like Hitler looking eagles on top of globes and all this like toxically masculine BS because it, it polls well with these morons. So 
it's all kind of dangerous stuff. You know, the things we do know are dangerous and the things we don't know are perhaps even more dangerous. And I'll shut up now, but I think social media seemed like a really good idea at the time, but I think it was like nuclear power or something, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't really realize how dangerous it is and what an effect it could have on all of our lives and how toxic it could be. And we're also sucked into it now. It's almost like, what can you do, especially in a pandemic, right? Because I mean, you're, you haven't left your house in a couple of years, right? Oh man. And, you know, I was thinking about going out to greater Los Angeles area for a vacation just to try to get some sunshine on my face and take a week to gain some peace. But like you said, man, with that mask uh, mandate getting lifted, that's pretty much eliminates that option for me. And, uh, you know, I also know somebody personally who went to the same college I did, who's from Ukraine. She's scared to death. You know, there are people in her neighborhood that are training for war, you know, and she originally went to the University of Indianapolis to be an occupational therapist and be the first in the country to offer those services to kids that needed it. Because in Ukraine, they hide people with disabilities. They don't want people with disabilities to be seen by the public. So, you know, if we're getting to the core of the issue of why I did this podcast a year ago, I don't want the United States to turn into a place where people with disabilities are hidden, you know, and minorities are scared to wear what they want to wear and say what they want to say. We're getting to that point and I have to walk away while I still can and find some light where I can find it. There you go. You'll be fine, Jimmy. You just got to, you know, just do what you can do in your own life. You know, take care of your mom. You know, you're the man of the house now. Get a job. I'm worried about her too. Yeah. Yeah. So. But you're also from Indiana and you love Indiana. And that's a rare thing. I know a lot of you would like to live in the big city or whatever, but I'm telling you, man, you know, there's nothing wrong with a place like Indiana and Indianapolis. And you got world-class arts you know and education and things like that it's not like you're in like some you know siberia or something <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you know what i mean no when it comes to indiana man i i've got a great spot i mean there's several hospitals that are close by indiana is one of the best places for like medical services I, i've talked about it here on the show when my dad had cancer and he was going to get his esophagus surgery done in indiana because the best guy in the world to do that surgery was at the iu hospital downtown so for a place in the Midwest, you know, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. Um, it's just, it's scary that the people I thought I could depend on that I grew up with, they aren't the same people that they were when I was a kid. They've, they've yeah. changed fundamentally, you know? Yeah, well, then that's what happened. Yeah. That's what MAGA right. did. You know, I went to a school called Lakeland High School in Northern Westchester. Okay. Yeah. And I just saw an article yesterday that Jamal Bowman, who's a congressman from Yonkers, which extends, you know, his district extends to cover where I went to high school, posted this article that at like a school board meeting the other day, they were attacking the superintendent and using the N word and and, Mm -hmm. and attacking Jewish people and making Germany jokes to them and and, and all kinds of racial epithets because they didn't want CRT being taught, you know, which is insane because they don't teach it in high schools. And, and like, I know these people, you know, I know the kind of people that would get up and do that because I've had to see their Facebook groups and all this in the last few years, you know, and there was some smart, compassionate people I went to high school with, and I'm still friends with those ones. But the rest of them, dudes I've known for 40 years are complete racists and complete anti-vaxxers and NRA nutbags. And they're not teaching CRT, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you live in Putnam Valley. You know what I mean? It's all white people. There was like two black people in my high school, one of which was one of my best friends. 
you know, and the other was this great, great dude, you know, and they were liked, it wasn't a racist thing, you know, so you're right, something has changed. These people lived in homes where they heard racist stuff around their kitchen tables, as we've covered in the past. That's the part of white suburban America that nobody wants to talk about. You know, this stuff was all there sort of underneath the surface and Trump just branded it and made it made it OK. And then a whole bunch of GOP guys and girls ran in behind him and, and sort of made it their platform. Right. The platform is Donald Trump and we're racist and we have guns right? And anti-CRT, you know? And now it's insane. And you feel sorry for anybody who has to deal with that every day. And, you know, Joy Reid, you know, is a great person who speaks out about that kind of stuff. And, you know, she's, she's hurting today. You can tell on Twitter, you know, they let the cop off who killed a man. She got two years, including time served. So she'll do 16 months in jail and a thousand dollar fine for taking a man's life. The innocent kids in Central Park Five, you know, that Trump took out an ad and asked to have them hanged, that got accused of a crime they didn't commit, a horrible crime that happened right in my neighborhood in New York City. I wasn't there in the time I was up in Westchester in high school, but I've mentioned it before. I ride by where this horrible crime happened, you know, when I'm on my bike in the city every day and I, I say a prayer for, for the woman who was the victim, but the kids were innocent. They were victims of racism, right? And they went to jail for a lot longer than this woman's going to go to who claimed, you know, she thought her pepper spray was a, you know, she must, she mistook her taser or her pepper spray for a gun and ended a man's life. Apparently the judge was like so empathetic. The judge looked like she was going to break into tears having to sentence, you know, mm -hmm. this person. I don't know if the judge was a woman or a man, but, um, that's justice in, 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 in a white judicial system. And it feeds into the whole Trump stuff. There's a reason Trump is still walking around, you know, and there's a reason like now that he and his kids have to testify for a, you know, Attorney General Letitia James in New York, the New York AG, which is, by the way, a civil case. So don't think you're going to see a perp walk coming out of that. Everyone's like, they're going to jail. No, no, they're not. They might lose their company and stuff. And hopefully maybe someday they'll go to jail if they were black. If President Obama had taken classified documents when he left the White House, mm. th there would be protests in the streets trying to lock him up. And let's be mm -hmm. real. You know, Trump's been given every benefit of the doubt his entire life, and he's been a criminal his whole life. He built mm. the goddamn tower he lives in with mob money and gave an apartment to a mob mole's girlfriend, you know, the mob mole. John Cody's girlfriend, who was head of the Teamsters, who let the, the you know, the concrete get poured because he was in business with Fat Tony Salerno, right? Uh -huh. Big Pauly of the Gambino, Paul Castellano, the guy that Gotti killed a few years later, right? Those uh -huh. guys were who Trump went into business with because his dad was a Genovese crime family. He built in Queens and Brooklyn. And Trump was a young scion, brash dude who wanted to branch out and build a tower in Manhattan. And his dad was like, that's not our territory. Meaning like, uh -huh. that's not our five family that we're covered by. But Trump went into business, you know, with the Gambinos and built this tower. And how he had to do it was he had to give an apartment away to this guy's girlfriend. And this guy was married. This was like his mistress, right? And he had no job, no means of income. Trump signed a document to get her a mortgage of $3 million. And they gave her this penthouse suite right underneath the triplex that he lives in on the 58th floor, which is really the 48th floor because he lied about the height, right? But he gave this woman an apartment, you know, with no job, like basically, you know, a prostitute, you know, a, you know, a mobster's girlfriend, right? right? He gave her the apartment about two weeks after she moved in. He, there's a knock on the door and it's Trump guys. 
And they're like, oh, we're here to, you know, put in the phone lines in the intercom system and stuff. And she's like, what? I think I'll call the phone company for that. You know, no thanks. And yeah. she told her boyfriend, John Cody, the Teamster guy, who's, you know, later got in trouble and murdered or something. He was a mob guy, but he was like, no, never let them in again. He's a spy <laughs> trying to wire the apartment, you know? So the whole place, my point is the whole tower was collecting compromise. That's what Trump does, right? But now he's got an entire network talking about how Hillary Clinton is trying, you know, was trying to spy on him as president, you know, at, at, you know, and, and when he was running his campaign and this insane stuff that was mentioned 200 times alone yesterday on Fox News, you know, that Kevin McCarthy is tweeting about. You think they're going to be tweeting about it tonight or mentioning it on Fox News that Trump stole classified documents? stole them they weren't right. his to take and god knows what like jared kushner took in his valise on the way out the door right how many copies of top secret stuff did jared kushner pass off to mbs you know or the israelis or somebody you know anybody who would pay him or putin it's dangerous you don't mess with the world like that you don't let like basically a high addled narcissistic idiot run the world for four years and now you're seeing the result of that right now you're seeing a very large nation you know ukraine is the size of the whole northeast all the way to chicago i don't think people realize how big it is like from maryland to chicago up to like new hampshire or whatever if you superimpose it on a map it's a big chunk of land it's a lot of people millions of people could be flooding out of there come monday it's a terrifyingly disorienting and disruptive to peace in the world and it all happened because a white guy didn't get held accountable his whole life because he was greasing the palms of other corrupt people and everybody wanted to make a buck you know and everybody was sort of comfortable demonizing black folks and immigrants being like i'm not really a racist i just want to make sure my less than adequate kid can get into the right school and you know country club and white shoe law forum and play firm and plays nice and you know you're alive at an interesting time jimmy because you're seeing a lot of the the house of cards sort of fall down you know and the true sort of like skeleton of the united states you're seeing how this thing was designed and it's always been the same it's always been the same scam. You know, it's like rich, wealthy people controlling most of the money, letting less wealthy white people resent immigrants and blacks. Now, that, that's the gig. 3.7 million more children are in poverty today than were in December, six weeks ago, because Joe Manchin was bought out by the Koch brothers and he killed the child tax credit. The one bright spot we've had in years of just horrific, a shameful you know, public stage kind of Americanism democracy, right? We went from like the leading beacon of hope in the world to like a laughing stock. Nobody respects America <laughs> yeah. anymore. Nobody wants to go there. You're not sending your kids here, you know, and now it's spreading into Canada and cruelty is the point. You know, to bring it back to that quarterback, it almost exemplified that attitude. Well, I got mine. Oh, oh my God, she fell off a thing. I'm just going to turn around. Who does that? Who turns their back on watching somebody fall 10 feet off a stage? But I'm saying that's what Manchin did, right? Hey, it's not my problem. You know, they're right. probably spending the extra money on drugs. That's what he said. That was ex his excuse for killing it, right? While he's driving a Maserati and living on a houseboat in Georgetown with tens of million dollars, millions of dollars in the bank, you know, and his daughter raising the price on EpiPen 700%. It's highway robbery. It should be $30 
a shot. And that's what Biden had in the legislation that he killed and that Kristen Cinema killed. And I'll give another example. When you speak out on something like that, that same thing, how we're addicted, addicted to contrarianism. If I point that out on Twitter right now, if I say that, I'll get people going, yeah, but you're not mentioning the 50 GOP. You're not telling the <laughs> truth. It was also the GOP. Yeah, well, no shit, but I'm not even thinking they're going to do the right thing. They're the ones who threw in their lot with a drug addict and a diaper for four years who was trying to burn down the Capitol. I know they're not going to do anything, but as Democrats, we spent seven months trying to appease Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema and figure out what they want while she curtsies with, you know, Mitch McConnell on the floor of the Senate, you know, and ignores questions and doesn't have a town hall. They're the ones who wasted our time. And I know you know this because I said it before I said it in car rants. They're chaos agents. They were, their job is to run out the clock until now, right? Until things get so messed up, till every GOP candidate is posing with a gun. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Till racism is out in the open, till, you know, crypto coins are debilitating our economy because all the beard bros that have been listening to Rogan and Elon Musk, who, mm -hmm. by the way, tweeted out a picture of Hitler yesterday comparing vaccine mandates to Hitler, could trust Justin Trudeau. He compared Justin Trudeau to Hitler in this offensive meme, which was a picture of, you know, like a glamour shot of Adolf Hitler that he later deleted, right? But that guy's got tens of millions of young, dumb American, like, morons thinking they're going to be rich on Dogecoin and stuff. You know what I mean? And be hanging out, smoking a blunt with Elon Musk on their way to Mars. It ain't going to happen that way. They're going to die behind a 7-Eleven, digging in there, looking for half a banana that somebody threw out when the world collapses. Just to hype you up with that image, Jimmy, I know that's what you come <laughs> here for, right? Did you ever yeah. read uh, The Road, Cormac McCarthy? I haven't yet, man, but I'll, I'll put it on the list. Um, yes, I'll have plenty of time. Yeah, that's what it. you need to do, bro. Jump into books, like deep thought, yeah. you know, 280 characters. Like that's what's popular now. And, and, you know, it's been popular for me, but it's not real thought. It's not real dialogue. It's not mm. deep dives. We need deep dives. We need to explore art. You know, we need to look at paintings and understand what a painter was trying to say, you know, Guernica is a great piece of art, but, you know, talked about the horrors of World War II. We need contemplative, meditative thought and, and healing and peace, not more agitation, you know, and quick fixes and adrenaline hits because we're all cyber junkies at this point, right? And it just, it, you know, it, it's, it's why I told you to read The Power Now or A New Earth. He talks about the pain body. Our footprints online are like, pain bodies, right? That's, it, doesn't, it doesn't activate your higher self, you know? And, and this is generalizations. Obviously, when you see the cool pictures of the monkey riding on top of the goat or something like that makes <laughs> you feel better, you know, and lowers your, your blood pressure, right? right? But, you know, the next scroll is going to be some horror, you know, some nine-year-old that got shot in Texas last night sitting in the back of a car by a stray bullet or something. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's not going to you're not going to reach an equilibrium that way. Well, and there's just not enough timeline cleansers out there with, with the BS that's that's available now. And you were talking about the GOP being chaos agents, man. You know, all the BS that they're talking about with uh, inflation, they didn't show up to the banking meeting to try to make it better. Like you said, they're running out the clock. So they're not showing up, showing up to meetings and then blaming Democrats for their lack of action. 
the GOP has become a terrorist organization at this point. Yeah, you know, I I would like to think that there are some better angels in there, but even Cheney and the other that are on the committee voted with Trump 90% of the time. Like we need new ideology fundamentally in this country across the board, or it's gonna be consequences for everybody. I think that's the thing too. Like it's not just racism, it's racism that's leading to the climate crisis. Like it's all interconnected. That's the that's the other thing I've learned. Everything is connected to everything else. Uh, absolutely. Because yeah. it's all one organism, Jimmy. If you right. look at it from the big picture, the earth is one living, breathing thing. And we're just yep. a part of that. You know, it's like I told you at the beginning of this, you know, season that we're about to end, you know, it's like a fish and all those scales on the fish are individual scales, right? And sometimes you'll see the sun come through the water and you'll see a fish turn and you see a rainbow on the side of its body, you know, and that's all those different scales working together and reflecting back the beauty and warmth of the sun, right? They all have their purpose and their meaning. And that's how the planet is. Any bug, plant, animal, or people, climate, or culture, they, they're all supposed to be here. And they all have a right to be here. And we have to work in concert with each other. And it's a basically healthy thing. You know, when it's getting exploited by certain people for their own wealth, the balance gets shifted. And now we've gotten to the past the breaking point because the climate is the big issue. None of this mm -hmm. stuff is going to matter when the tidal waves start like rolling in, you know, which they're there. We had a storm last night that shook the house, bro. It, it tore down trees in Long Island. I'm heading out to Long Island for a week tomorrow, you know, and it's like, you know, these superstorms are all the time now. We have a pandemic that didn't get people to slow down. I was in the hospital on Tuesday night. I, I hurt my knee cross-country skiing this year, and I had a like a baker cyst, like water behind your knee, you know, and yeah. it burst. So my whole lower knee is like, my whole lower leg from my knee to my foot is completely swelled up, Jimmy. So <laughs> I can barely walk. I'm using a crutch and stuff. I don't, I keep that stuff personal. Now I'm telling everybody on the podcast, but you know, my point, I was sitting in Lenox Hill hospital, one of the great hospitals, you know, in the world. And I'm sitting there and all these people are smiling and compassionate, these nurses and these nurses aides and these doctors, you know, mm -hmm. and I was like, they're still like full of like caring and joy. And I, I was sitting there waiting for a while. I had to get sonograms and like tests on my knee. And I was like, what has the last two years of their lives been like? Because mm. you know, they're in the epicenter of the first wave. It's, we're talking 77th and, and Park Avenue, Lenox, uh, Lexington Avenue in, in Manhattan, like where people were banging pots and pans. If you ever saw that on the news, like oh, right. that, that's where mm -hmm. this was happening. I mean, this was the first wave of the stuff. And, uh, you know, those guys have been through war, war biological sort of warfare and they're still smiling they're still like sort of reaching out their hand and helping people and it was just an interesting paradox it was almost more peaceful in the hospital than it is out in the streets kind of you know and it's like how could their work be politicized you know and i also started thinking about that like you know it's the upper east side so you're not getting a lot of anti-vaxxer like idiots that we hear about spitting <laughs> nurses faces and stuff but can you imagine that you know, like if somebody did that to me as a nurse, I'd be walking in there every five seconds and jabbing them with a needle like, oh, got to take some more blood, bro. Sorry. Yeah, right, no, I'm going to take it out of your neck right now. <laughs> you know what I mean, <laughs> let me tell you a story on that. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I spent some time at NIH. I spent a month there. OK, 
17 years ago. And, uh, you know, I was part of, that's why I went to rehab as National Institutes of Alcoholism and Abuse, right? And, and I, it was wonderful. It saved my life. It, it introduced me to the fellowship that I participate in, in in this day. But I was part of this protocol, right? This experimental protocol. And they noticed like when they took blood from me and stuff that I didn't really mind. You know, it didn't bother me. I have a high tolerance for pain, right? I'm Irish. And uh, so uh, <laughs> there you go, buddy. And yeah. uh, so one of these tests they did on, on me was like a cortisol test where they injected me with cortisol, which floods your body essentially with adrenaline, you know, and they were measuring my fight or flight instinct, right? And they sort of had to strap me down inject me with this stuff and when the guy's given me the needle the doctor who had been taking care of me the whole time like the nurse comes in the male nurse and pulls out a stopwatch because if they give it to you too fast like your heart will explode and this doctor who'd been joking around with me in weeks previous was like dead serious and he's pressing the plunger you know with the thing into the iv drip and the guy's like 10 seconds 15 seconds right and he's pressing this drip and i'm like oh crap what's happening here yeah like, these guys are sweating what are they giving to me and they're like how do you feel and i'm like i feel fine you know and i got a little flushed and stuff but my point is the rest of the experiment was they were going to take blood every 15 minutes for like four hours they they came in with a case like a rack of blood vials, <laughs> like okay. 40 of them right and yeah. they're like, hey, you know, we have a patient like in another ward, another part of the hospital that's super afraid of needles. And we want to try like some sort of conversion type therapy or whatever. Can we have her come sit in here and watch them take blood out of you every 15 minutes? And I was like, yeah, no problem. Like it's a teaching hospital. You know, Johns Hopkins is part of the thing. So right. I'm sitting there and the girl hung for like a half an hour was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know what I mean? She couldn't even like, deal with it they were taking so much blood but these guys were angels you know they saved my life i got a spinal tap twice when i was in there too and mm. it was crazy you know <laughs> but uh you know my point in all that is like how are you going to make somebody in a hospital an enemy do you know what i'm saying yeah. whenever i've been in a position for that sort of compassion and care i'm just like thank you mm. you know because i know i'm almost cheating the system to even be in there right because health insurance isn't a given you know, I work as a freelancer my entire adult life till Obamacare. I didn't have insurance as an adult, you know, sometimes when I'd work at a company or whatever, but, and it was also my idea of hell, like having to stay at a job for the insurance, you know, people yeah. shouldn't have to do that. It should be separate. It should be a human right that you get as a citizen and you should be able to go and pursue whatever career you want to pursue. You shouldn't have to work at Starbucks to get health insurance. And it's, it's, it, that ties into what I was talking about last week about robbing people of excellence. That, that's what this economic system is also designed to do. And I'll segue from that into the Super Bowl, right? Because everybody loved this Super Bowl. This was the most loved halftime show since the one I did with Prince. No question. And I did hmm. probably 12, 13 of them in a row, you know, up until Minneapolis. I did, you know, from, from Miami to Minneapolis, 11, 12, I don't know how many that is consecutively. Nobody ever said it was a great show. There was Springsteen, you know, Prince, everything else was like, yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> what was up with the dancing shark? <laughs> like, you know, like Madonna sucks. Like it was never like, that was amazing. This was truly joyful, truly amazing. My friends that were still there, you know, that are still doing the gig had a blast. 
You know, they're African-American women that I've worked with in my view for 20 years. So I was so happy for them, you know, to be on the field there with that talent and, and see everybody killing it and joyful and realize this is great music because it is. And once again, how is it viewed through this lens of like, oh, that's what woke liberals like, right? That was the tweet I referenced earlier with somebody like, this shouldn't be on TV. They're twerking. Right. Trump had his daughter giving him lap dances when she was 13. You're offended by professional dancers. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, well, I mean, go. Mary J. Blige, you know, she's 51 years old and she's able to perform better than most artists would in their prime. Like, uh, and, you know, Eminem, good for him taking a knee, even though the NFL said not to. Like when you're on a stage that big, you do whatever the hell you want. You know, you're paying the NFL to perform. At least that's the way it used to work, that the artists would pay the NFL so that they could perform. Yeah, you know, it's, again, even football, I've talked about it, like sports used to be the one institution that people were kind of together on, despite politics. And because of today's climate, even the Super Bowl was divisive and it it divided America. Right. And that's what I'm talking about. That yeah. instant thing that this filter that we've all developed, you know, this mm-hmm. branding of I'm on this side of thing. I got this big truck with a bumper sticker. You know, yeah. you can tell what somebody's going to be all about just by looking at them. And that's not supposed to be how it works. You're supposed to judge the content of their character, not the color of their skin or their beard. Like I'm struggling with this beard, Jimmy, because I look like every asshole I see on the viral videos. I was yeah. like, I'm shaving this thing. I don't want to look like a Canadian trucker, you know? <laughs> and I only grew it because, you know, the Omicron, I had to cancel shows in January. So like, why waste the shaving cream? Because like yeah. you said, things are products, right? They're, they're expendable. Use mm-hmm. as little as you can. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you how, I don't even know if I should do it on this show, Jimmy. I, I'll skip it, but you know, okay. you can never, there's no limit to how, once you decide you want to save this planet and not make it worse environmentally, there's no limit on to how you can do that in every moment of your life. You will discover new ways once you start thinking about it and ways that would seem crazy. This is how crazy I am. If I'm throwing out a tea bag, I squeeze the water out of the tea bag before I put it in the trash can because the water is extra weight that's going to be in that trash can, you know, that trash bag that's going to go on a truck that's going to use fuel to carry it away from my home, right? That's a micro level of this sort of thing. And that's where we'll have to get if we really want to save this place, right? You wash your hair. Everybody puts a massive dollop of shampoo in your hand and stuff. Use less. Consume as little as you can now because that'll create space for other things. We don't need all this stuff. That's the other, you know, just like how you said everything's related, That's the other problem, you know, is that this consumerist society, I'm going to get a whole brand new set of clothes from Uniqlo or Primark or wherever, you know, all these places that have popped up where you can get all this great stuff for nothing. You're like, oh, look, a down coat for $40. Shouldn't cost $40 for a down coat. You know what I mean? You'd be better off buying a nice wool jacket that cost you two, 300 bucks and lasted 20 years, right? Than this disposable clothes. And if you think, well, I'll just give it to charity. There's too many clothes already on the planet. That stuff's all going over to Africa, ending up on beaches and in these piles and desecrating these countries. I think Guyana or one of these countries is like, don't send us any more stuff. We have enough. We don't want any more of your crappy clothes because these companies just keep churning it out. And like, 
nothing leaves this planet really that you make that that is not a natural biodegradable material right mm -hmm. every bottle plastic bottle that's ever been on this earth is still on this earth in some form it may be little tiny pieces floating around the ocean but those little pieces go into the fish you know and they go into your food so you know it's the theory i always talk about and i'll shut up but it's like putting drano down your mm. drain where do you think it's going where yeah. you think it's just magically going to some drano special area in the world <laughs> and it's not going to come back and give you god knows what disease right, right? you know people well, didn't have autism when i was a kid right mm -hmm. so i don't know what causes that but you know ultimately it's probably going to be something in the atmosphere or all this cat cancer or whatever i'm not trying to start conspiracy theory you know i'm just saying like mm -hmm. there's results of all this like sort of toxicity in in this world you know and uh when i watch people put on fingernail polish like women you know i'm like how are you sitting in the bathroom putting on fingernail polish do you smell what that smells like do you right. think there's any part of that thing that was made by a petrochemical company that is good for you <laughs> you know what I mean? All this post-industrial consumerism has only been around for 100 years, too. That's the other thing. You know, in the 100, 150 years, basically, since the Industrial Revolution, or just take automobiles, right? You know, 125 years or so, whatever. Like, just in cars, think of what we've done to the planet, just with automobiles alone, right? We've right. paved 80% of the world, right? Everywhere has got a road. Everybody's got exhaust. Everybody's buying a new car every two or three years, right? Because you're seeing commercials that show you low financing. You could drive out of here today, you know? Yeah. You buy yeah. a decent car and keep it. I'm in the same car for seven, eight years. Mine's you know, a 2003, even... man. Yeah. <laughs> 2003 Pontiac Vibe. It's still running. There you it's, go, a, man. it's an efficient car, dude. dude. You know? That's what I'm talking about, man. You know, I, I have this other theory. It's like, I love a pair of boots that have been resold, man. You know, oh, yeah. I got 20, 25 year old leather boots, man. I want something that's going to last. I mean, look, look in the background, you know, it's like old wood, old guitars, you know, that, that's a couple hundred year old tall boy. I like old stuff. You know, this disposable crap is just, yeah, you don't yeah. need it. We don't need all this stuff. And when you figure out you don't need stuff, you, it makes room for other things talk to wise old people and that's what they'll tell you don't sweat the small stuff you need less and less you know you need healthcare and you need shelter and food and you know you need things i'm not saying that but you know you don't need you don't need to keep trying to fill the hole well and you know um i've talked about dad on here he was a self-employed musician you know it wasn't like he had a a backup plan you know that was kind of his pursuit in this world was being a musician and he was excited when he turned 65 because he was like, I get Medicare. I get to have some insurance, you know, like it was a huge deal. And it, just as far as like the, the consumer capitalism and the trash that gets created, a simple example that uh, Chooch used to bring up. And I was laughing with mom about it. We would go to White Castle, which is a Indiana staple. If you haven't had uh, White Castle in Indiana, I'd recommend I'm it. from New York. Where do you think it's from, dude? Queens. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. But um. You know, dad would always be like, why, why does White Castle create so much trash with, you know, having a box for every slider, a box for every set of fries, not counting the environmental disaster it was to cook the food, just the plastic to store it in, you know, and, and the, I mean, all that adds up. And I, I watched a documentary in college about consumer capitalism and how when you have five different kinds of cookies, 
that's five different types of packaging that gets thrown away. Like we need less options as Americans, not just better choices, but less options from companies. <laughs> yeah. Well said. Your dad was a smart guy to be that forward thinking, you know, and the packaging, you, I'll go into the grocery store. I'll see two ears of corn peeled, wrapped in plastic on a bed of styrofoam, right? right. On a styrofoam tray. Like it came in a wrapper, right? God made yeah. it in a wrapper. It literally has a husk that will keep <laughs> it fresher and allow it to breathe, right? Those examples become more and more aware of those things, you know, and this is for our listeners. This isn't just between us, you know, this is yeah. a conversation for the people that are listening, you know, like we all want to keep, keep on keeping on, right? And, and we all get overwhelmed, especially on social media and stuff. And it's, it's easy to get hopeless about this, but you don't have to be hopeless. You have to bring it back to the present moment, you know, and say, mm -hmm. what is my action doing right now? Like, am I making this world a better place, you know, for, for the next generations? Or, or am I making it worse off? You know, do I really need this thing right now? Do I really need it on 80 degrees in January in my house so I can walk around in a t-shirt? Why not put on a sweater and make it 68 degrees? Because you're burning oil. You're burning these limited resources that are destroying the planet. You know, and the irony is it's also so cold because of climate change, right? right? It wasn't as cold as it. We just came out of a cold snap. It's warm today, but, you know, it was 20 15, 10 degrees, basically for a month here. It wasn't like that, you know, when I was in high school 30 years ago. So anything you can do in the, mo in the moment to make it a better place, that stuff creates its own inertia. You feel better for doing it. It's like when you practice yoga or meditation or exercise or uh, a craft, you know, like doing art or playing music or something that's sort of really like you're only doing it for the joy of doing it right? It's not the results. It's not the likes. It's not the, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to get all this money. You know, just do it for the joy of doing it while you're here on this planet and noticing like, oh, it's a beautiful day out. It's sunny. You know, the birds are singing because you're, you're here for a blink of an eye. You might as well enjoy it as much as you can, because ultimately it is pretty frustrating and painful. That's the other thing that the Buddha talked about. You know, everybody's trying to resist pain. Life is painful. You know, maybe make space for it and accept it. I'm not saying seek it out, but the avoidance of pain is what causes a lot of these problems. Everybody wants to be comfortable all the time, you know, instead of sitting with pain, you know, and if we all got more present, there'd be a lot less pain in the world because people running from their own pain and acting out on their own fears cause problems and pain for other people. Joe right. Manchin is letting kids go hungry this weekend and for the rest of their childhoods probably because there's no hope of this thing being revived as far as I can tell, at least at the moment, because he's worried that he doesn't have enough, right? Or he's going to let down his benefactors, you know, these coal companies, you know, that he either owns or, or is purchased by, let alone the Koch brothers and what they might be able to do to him. That's all fear. You know, we don't have to live in fear. We have to live in harmony. I've talked about it here on the show before, you know, one of the things that I tried to do uh, early on as a kid was volunteer and I started a charity wrestling event where kids got to dress up as professional wrestlers and be a professional wrestler for the day as the event but I promise you just having been around uh, folks who have tried to make this world a better place the more that you tr worry about elevating the vibration for somebody else the less you worry about yourself and then through that you become better so 
you know, my suggestion to try to counterbalance all the negative energy is do something positive within your own community. And we've talked about it throughout here. And thankfully, we've talked about it here on the show too, that my generation is pretty hip to like farmer's markets and community gardens. There are good things happening. You just have to seek it out and find it. You know? Yeah, well, there's a lot of good things happening, which is the other part of it is like, you know, when you're on social media all the time, it can seem like everything is awful, you know? And, yeah. you know, it is on a, on, a, on a big macro sense, right? You know, but like, not everybody's meant to to look at all the world's problems all the time, you know, yeah. like that's not for everybody. I, I, I sometimes feel like I have a glimpse at the big picture and it informs what I try to do creatively, you know, so I can kind of see and point out trends and, and I don't mind looking at it, you know, yeah. like some people have to, you know, be on point and on guard. I'm not equating myself from the real people that do that, but I'm saying it, if it comes naturally to you and, and can feed your other talents, then do it. But if it's causing you pain, find something that uses your specific skill in service of somebody else and you'll be happy. You'll never work a day in your life if you're using what you were put on this earth and these gifts you were given to enrich somebody else's life. You got it all figured out, you know, and, and the sooner you figure that out in life, the, the better and the more rewarding your life is going to be. And I saw you have your dad's T-shirt on right now. You know, yeah. I, uh, I thought of your dad last night. I watched the uh, Summer Soul documentary, you know, and you mentioned Mary J. Blige. I've worked with Mary J. Blige a ton, you know, a yeah. ton back in the 90s and stuff. And Eminem and all those kind of guys, Snoop Dogg forever. You know, I can tell you <laughs> crazy, funny Snoop Dogg stories. He's hilarious, right? But, <laughs> you know, and Mary's incredible. But I watched that documentary and you know, the tragedy of that and Questlove, you know, Amir did an incredible job and I hope he gets the Oscar. But the fact that that wasn't seen until now, you heard about Woodstock your whole life, right? Which is pretty simplistic musically. Like, you know, it wasn't as fun as they all make it out to be. And I lived in Woodstock as a kid with my dad. Like I knew Michael Lang, rest his soul, who just passed away. I worked for Crosby, Stills and Nash. I'm named after Hendrix's bass player. Trust me, I'm deeply entrenched, you know, as a product of the Woodstock generation. I was born in 71. So it obviously happened before I was born, but I lived under that shadow. You know, and as I was saying last week, I grew up in a, in a black neighborhood as a little kid, you know, in a mixed neighborhood, which was the best blessing in my life, to be honest with you. Mm. You know, as I look back at I'm turning 51 next month, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Having a best friend who was from Palestine and Guatemala and D.C. and seeing how we were all similar. You know, we were all sitting there eating our Fruit Loops and putting on our, you know, onesies and watching you know, cartoons in the morning, you know, Bill Cosby or whatever. But uh, anyway, look, my point is, you know, we'd see the Woodstock documentary, you know, you'd see the Beatles stuff, you'd see all this stuff. We didn't see Mahalia Jackson. We didn't see Mavis Staples. We didn't see Sly and the Family Stone. The performances on that thing were epic. They were so next level to any performance at Woodstock. Hate on me all you want from a musical standpoint alone. It was completely sophisticated your dad would have dug it because i don't know if you watch it yet it's all horn sections you know there's a house oh. orchestra like i mean it's the best tightest like stuff you've ever seen i mean it's just incredible music wow. you know and it's black excellence and it's black joy and we live in a country that tried to hide that you know this film sat in a basement for 50 years you know that's mm -hmm. insane like because it could have inspired so many kids 
in my generation, in the seventies, if that thing was shown, if they showed that in classrooms, you know, if they showed that on PBS and stuff, you'd be like, oh, my, you know, my music is good. It's not just the Beatles and the white guys with the long hair at Woodstock that mattered in the sixties. They weren't the only ones opposed to Vietnam, you know, and these guys were saying stuff that is so poignant today. There's a segment in the film it's a documentary so I'm not ruining you know a drama for you but there's a segment you know it is the same summer that we landed on the moon and they're asking all these guys in Harlem like how do you feel about the moon landing and they're like it's bullshit there's kids starving and you're wasting money to go jump on the moon for five seconds like spend that money here and they're right you know what I mean but you grow up and I'm not dissing on NASA don't hate on me my point my mom worked for NASA for a time in the 70s she would put the punch cards in those big computers that took up a whole room. Oh, Didn't wow. last long, but I went with her, you know, once or twice to work. Cool. And, uh, but anyway, my point is like, they were like, we're dying. You know, you're sending black folks to Vietnam to get killed. Our neighborhood is ravaged by heroin and our children are starving. And you want to know how I feel about some white dude landing on the moon? Like right. it was the same stuff we're saying now with Elon Musk and all these guys. Jeff Bezos trying to go to the moon every five minutes or Mars or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's insane. People are going hungry. You know how many kids were involved in the, the child tax credit? 61 million children in households mm -hmm. in this United States received benefits from that bill. 61 million kids didn't have enough to eat until they got this extra 250 or whatever it was per child, this credit. Mm -hmm. Think about that in the context of somebody flying, trying to fly to Mars, you know, or to go outside the atmosphere for 30 seconds, you know, in a penis rocket and land back on Earth and CNN covers it breathlessly for 10 hours, right? They don't cover breathlessly the 61 million children living in poverty, just like they didn't cover it in 69. They'll cover the riots. They'll cover that, the you know, Harlem burns down after Dr. King gets assassinated. They don't cover you know, the frustrations that lead to that. Or if they do cover it, it's from an antistic and antagonistic viewpoint. Like these guys are the enemy. Look how dangerous and scary this all is. No, it's just people trying to dance, get enough food, love each other and enjoy life. That's what all people want. That's what, that's all anybody is basically trying to do. Mm. You know, at, at a, you know, at, at a core level. You know, there's always psychopaths. And the problem is when those psychopaths are white and put on a suit and a tie, they get away with being a psychopath for a lot longer. And this will, I'll wrap up this episode now in this season, you know, a year of these episodes. That's what I was telling you about Trump. He got away with this stuff because he was a white guy. He was a psychopath when he was in elementary school. He was punching his teachers. They sent him to rich kid reform school, military school. They hid his school records because he couldn't read. You know, and he had behavioral issues. He tried to throw his college, his high school roommate out of a window. He ripped out his own wife's hair and raped her, the mother of his children. Okay. This was all documented in many, many years before he was allowed to run for president when he was a known sexual predator with over 200 accusations, right? Yeah. There's like some, you know, there's 26 women who, you know, came out during the campaign. But if, if you tie up all the instances, and that's a fraction, I know women personally, who aren't counted on that, you know, right. who, who were, were groomed by him at 12 and ended up at Epstein's house. So, but he had a suit and tie and a myth that he was great and he'd bought all this stuff. And if you like him, you'll get to buy a bunch of stuff too. 
and you'll get a hot supermodel wife, you know, and you'll get to not educate or empathize yourself, but you'll get to rail against somebody else, the other, the demon, the immigrant, the Hillary Clinton, the liberals, the educated folks. So it's all a scam. It's all a scam. And it's a scam that a lot of people can make money off of on both sides of the equation. MSNBC, CNN never made more money than they did during the Trump era. To use, uh, to reference Woodstock, uh, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. That was one of Jimi Hendrix's best quotes. Um, it all could have been so much better. You know, I, I've said this before. It's kind of like watching a train go down, go down the tracks and you're seeing it crash. You know, I, I was born in 94. A lot of this was before my time. But again, we have to seek out the good. We have to try and find it in an environment that this, that's this dark. And don't get distracted by the bullshit. Everybody knows Trump is a criminal at this point. Like, I, I don't know. And I'm, I'm going to try and find peace where I can because I keep going back to, and, and I've seen it with my family firsthand, we're only here for so long. So try to make this experience as enjoyable and as peaceful as you can. Well, there you go, Jimmy. That's a good way to leave it. You know, come back and say hi to us. You know, the viewers of the show are yeah. going to miss you. So you can come back and say hi to them. Let us know how you're doing. Let us let them know now where they can find you until then. Or, you know, um, you can find me at jbkonair.com. Uh, you can search the podcast JBK on air anywhere that you get your podcasts. And I would also recommend if you like my podcast, buy my mom's book. My perfect son has cerebral palsy kind of chronicles the beginning of uh, when I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and what my mom and dad were feeling at the time. And if there's somebody out there that has a child with a disability and you're looking for some guidance as to handle that, it's a love story. You know, there's happy pictures in here. So it's not like the typical medical guides that you see. Um, you know, my mom is the light and love of my life. So I would uh, recommend buying a copy of that book if, if you feel compelled. Well, there you go. And you can find that on Jimmy's Twitter. He's got a link to it in his bio. And boy, the ladies are going to yeah. love you now, James. Oh, yeah. You got you got a whole treasure trove of, of baby pictures to enjoy in my absence. So one of them just said on YouTube last week they were... Uh, you were too young for her, you know? Yeah, I know. It, she it, was interested. She was basically <laughs> saying, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, she, did, she didn't disclose how old she was. You know, we, we don't know that yet. But hey, I, I appreciate the, the love and support of all the fans. It's really, that's been the other joy of this, is getting to meet all the people that I've gotten to meet. You know, I, I didn't think that many people were listening out there. You know, when you, when you do this thing as a career, you kind of go in blind and just try your best. But to actually get a reaction from some folks and maybe raise their vibration a little bit. It, it, it was a really cool experience to get to do this for a year. You know? Well, thanks for being a part of it. And uh, shout out to those fans. Sarah Beth got a t-shirt this week. So I hope I sent awesome. it out on Monday priority, Sarah Beth. So hopefully you're enjoying that now as you listen to episode 51, end of season one of the Noel Kastler podcast with my main man, Jimmy Kennedy. I will be back next week. And I'm going to start bringing in, you know, I'm bringing some friends and, and some guests from time to time, but I'll be back here with the, uh, you know, with the normal Noel stuff every week. So take care of yourselves.
the car rants all come back. I just want to talk about other issues besides Trump. That was a thing they were called Trump truths. And then right. Trump announced yesterday that his social media was tweets were going to be called truths. <laughs> Trump truth, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are you stealing it? You know, from me. Yeah. Now, and it's a joke. He's not stealing it from me, but I don't even want the cross contamination. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Now that he's using that term and who knows if that thing will get off the ground. But I think 52 weeks, a year worth of Trump stuff is enough. There's nothing I can tell you about him that I haven't already told you or isn't on the YouTube page where all 52 car rants can be located and all the episodes of this podcast, especially the ones with Jimmy. So when you're lonely, ladies, and you want to see a little LLJK, <laughs> you know where to go. YouTube, Noel Kassler channel. Until then, be well, be safe. Could be a tense week. I hope you all keep uh, an even keel and your eyes on, on peace. All right. So until next time, say goodbye, Jimmy. Take care, folks. Love you. See you there next you time. There you go. They love you too, Jimmy. Peace.